no matter who you are, small, big, inexperienced, experienced, it doesn't matter, we all fall down, right? We all fall down at different times. It's not so much uh, whether you fall, it's when you're going to fall. And then the question is, what do you do once you have? You know, that, that's really where it counts. That's really what matters. What do you do once you've fallen? Do you stay down and moan about it and cry about it and say, oh, well, I guess that's it, you know, never can get up again because I, I fell. I wasn't ever going to fall, but I did. And now I just can't go on. Or do you say, okay, I fell, I, I'm just going to get up again, you know, like these people did. The, the girl, bless her heart, my goodness, she needs some new shoes or something. But she kept getting up, and she kept going forward, and the same with the NBA player there. It just doesn't matter. You, you're going to fall, and, and it's what you do with that, that that counts. That's something that, for sure, the Apostle Peter would agree with and could identify with and understands. Uh, probably better than just about anyone else. You know, right, right after uh, he heard from the Lord Jesus in Matthew 16, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to him, you are Peter. And that, that word means rock. That name meant rock. You are You are rock. And he said, and on the rock of your statement, the truth about who I am, I'm going to build my church. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Well, poor Peter, right after that, when Jesus plainly says, now it won't be long, and just, I mean, just a a little bit of time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be delivered over, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter, who just got all that right, says to Jesus, No, I don't think so. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says to him, the one he had just got done saying, you are the rock. He said, get out of my way, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind, but of man. (laughs) It's like, whoop, whoop. I mean, talk about a, a trip. I mean, Peter's, man, he's going... He's going, well, he's just, he's climbing, he's climbing the rock. He got everything right about who Jesus is. And then in the next sentence, flat on his face. Isn't that our, our experience too? I mean, I think we can all identify with that. We can all experience from time to time what it is to be tasting the dirt in our, in our mouth. Um, and, and Peter did that a lot. Peter did that a lot. Uh, as, as Christ's death was imminent, Right before he was in the garden and betrayed and arrested, he told Peter, So, Peter, I need you to understand something. You are going to deny me. Three times. And Peter says, oh, No, no, Lord, you've got the wrong Peter. Not me. And he gestures to all of the other disciples that are with him. He said, You know, these guys might do that. <laughs> they may all desert you. They may all leave you. And, and every single one of them might, but I'm going to be the exception. They might all let you go, but I'm with you to the end. I will die with you. And Jesus says, all right, Peter, I hear you, but I'm telling you, this is going to happen. Before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in our Unfair series and the agony, the agony that Peter must have felt. And and as we see that take place in Scripture, when when Jesus looks over across the courtyard there when he's bound and, and Peter has definitely, he has indeed denied his Lord as was predicted, Jesus just looks at him. And the eyes of Christ say it all. And we, we heard, we read, where it's recorded that Peter went out and wept bitterly. And that means, what, what literally happened is he, he ran out. He ran out and wept with a broken heart. Because he did, in fact, deny his Lord. Even though he said he would never do it, that's exactly what happened. He fell. He failed. We're all going to fall. We're all going to fail. 
And it's going to look like different things for each of us. Your, your mistake, your failure might look different from mine and mine from you. What, what trips us up is going to look differently. But it's all, at the, at the end of the day, it's all going to come back to the fact that even though we are redeemed through Christ, we still have the ability to choose sin from time to time. And we still have the ability to be tripped up by our flesh, by the enemy, or by the things of this world and this life. It's go- I mean, it's just going to happen. Till Christ calls us home, that's going to be a possibility. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it a good thing. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be absolutely torn in our hearts when that happens. It sh- we should. We should respond with remorse. It should not be okay with us. But what I'm saying is, when you fail, when you fall, don't allow the enemy to speak lies into your heart that says either you're the only one that that's happened to, or, well, that's it, you're no good to the Lord now. He's done. You might as well just throw in the towel. Don't allow him to speak those lies into you. Because the truth of a gracious God is that no one, no one, no one is beyond the restoring reach of our God. No one is beyond the reach of restoration. No one. And Peter is an amazing example of how true that is. And what was true for Peter is true for you and I today. So, with that in mind, I invite you to turn to John chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. John 21, verses 1 through 17. And this is the account, the beautiful, amazing, wonderful account of Jesus meeting Peter right where he is and speaking truth, but love in that truth and speaking grace in that truth into Peter's life, reaching down, pulling him up, and restoring him to all that Jesus had in mind for him to be and to do. It's beautiful. One of my favorite, favorite passages in all the Bible. John 21, 1 through 17. And please, this morning, see yourself in Peter. See yourself through his eyes. Hear the Lord's words to you through Peter's ears this morning. Because while we're reading about Peter and his specific need for restoration because of his specific failure, his colossal failure, while we're reading about that specifically, it certainly is relatable to by all of us, okay? So let's let's jump in. John 21, verses 1 through 17. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. See, he had already appeared. He had appeared Remember the the room where Thomas and everyone was? And Thomas said, "Um, I I think you're a ghost. I think you might be a spirit. (laughs) And and Jesus says, go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead, touch me. You know, does does the spirit have flesh and bone? And and he, he felt the wounds and he knew it was the Lord. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Remember that? That had just happened. And he had appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And so... I mean, there was no question whether or not the resurrection happened, whether Jesus had risen triumphantly over the dead. And all of that had just taken place. And then we see what's going to happen with Peter's mindset and what he decides to do, even though he had just seen his risen Lord. Shows us where he's at in his heart. He had appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. This is the account of his appearing again to the disciples By the Sea of Tiberias. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. So they're sitting around, they're walking around, they're they're trying to process everything that's just happened, no doubt. And Peter, I guess he just kind of had enough. Maybe he was bored. Maybe they were talking about what to do now and Peter just couldn't get there because his heart was still broken in two from his, his mistake, his failure, his denial. I, I don't know. But, at, but whatever happened, Peter says, you know what? I, I'm going to go fish. I'm going to go fish. And 
really, the, the idea here isn't just like you and I might say, hey, you want to go fishing? Sure. Now, disclaimer, if, if any of you ask me to join you in fishing, it, it's probably not going to be pretty. Okay? Um, I've tried fishing. I really have. It, it, it just doesn't take. The fish and me, we just don't get along. I mean, I, I, have, I have tried many, many times. I've tried different kinds of poles. The problem is me. Hello, I'm Chris Chesley. I am not a fisherman. Yeah, I, my, uh, my very good friend in Virginia, he's an avid fly fisherman. The guy is just crazy with it. And he tried to teach me. And I said, Mike, I said, it's a, it's a waste of time. You're not going to be able to do it. He said, no, I have taught everyone. I, I have taught all kinds of people how to fish. If anybody can teach someone how to fish, it's going to be me. You're, you're not going to be the one that's the exception. Trust me. And I said, okay. So he takes me and has, has me use his spare fly rod, and he's teaching me the whole clock motion. And, I, I mean, I try, and I think I'm doing it right. And I look behind me, and he's like, he's like ducking because the, 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 the thing's coming at him. And then I got it caught in a tree, and I managed to lose every single one of his homemade, handmade flies. Lost every one of them. He's like, I think you were right. I stand corrected. You are the one I cannot teach to fly fish. Tried another time just with my family out at Humpback Bridge, down from our house there in Virginia, and I was fishing, and somehow, I still don't know how this happened, I got it caught like on the bottom rungs of the train bridge. I don't know. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And, and, and my wife is, is a testimony of that truth. So I'm not the right person to ask about fishing, okay? Just be warned. That, but but it, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, hey, let's just go out and just fish together for a little bit. This was most likely Peter saying... I think I'm going to go back to my job of fishing. I think I'm going to go back to being a fisherman by trade. I tried this disciple thing. I tried being an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Look where that got me. Some rock I am. Rock, yeah, right. And so what Peter was feeling and experiencing was not being the rock, but a, but a broken rock. Pebbles. And so that's really kind of the heart that's going on here is I'm going to go try my hand at that fishing gig again. So here's what the response was. We'll go with you. All right, let's see what happens. We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, this should have been, and and we see that it was, but it should have maybe a lot sooner than it was, I think. This should have been like major deja vu for them. And, and, and really it was. It was deja vu. Because in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11, this is absolutely what happened in the, in the original call of the disciples. This is how Jesus called Peter to himself and those that were with him, his brothers. And, and, and I mean, it was, it was the original call on Peter's life to leave the nets and to become fishers of men. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 through 11, Jesus is teaching, and there's, there's Peter and company coming back in from having already fished all night, and Jesus is teaching, and, and the crowd is pressing in on him so much, he just like commandeers Peter's boat. He just jumps right into the boat and, and starts using that as his pulpit because his voice will carry over the sea to all the crowd. And, and Peter, he, he looks at Peter and he says, go out a little bit, go, go out a ways. Like after he's done speaking. And he says, Let, let's go and, and go ahead and try to, to get another catch. And Peter says, sir, sir, we, we've already been out fishing all night. And we, we haven't caught anything. I, 
we're tired, we're hungry. There's no point, the fish aren't biting. Jesus says, go out. Let's try one more time. Peter says, okay, at your word, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll I'll, I'll see what happens. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So he goes out, and sure enough, this is exactly what happens. Jesus says, throw your net on the opposite side that you were casting and just wait and see what you're going to get. And they hauled in so much fish, they had to have the other boat come and help them so that it wouldn't break and so the boats wouldn't sink. And when that happened, as they got back to the shore, Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and he said, Go away from me. Get out of here. Get out of my, my, my space, Lord. And it wasn't because Peter was so annoyed at Jesus or anything. He said, Because I am a sinful man. And obviously you are not. You're everything I'm not. I can see that now. And that's when Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch people. And the Bible says immediately, he left his nets and his father and followed him. So, deja vu. Absolutely. And this is Jesus, this is not accidental or coincidental or random. This is Jesus saying, you know what, Peter? You know what, James and John, Thomas? I'm not done with you yet. And just as I called you before, I'm calling you still. The call that I originally gave to you, it hasn't gone anywhere. So let me just reinstate that. Let me remind you of the calling I've given you and I have over your life. Let me call you in the same way again. And look what happens. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, the writer of this gospel, John, said to Peter, It it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. He didn't even wait to get to the shore. Jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Kind of another reminder there, right, that Jesus is always going to provide. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Little fish, little loaves. Just a reminder again, it's saying to, to, to the disciples, I'm the same Jesus. And though you have failed and you've fallen, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. It's still me. I'm still the one that provides. I'm still the one who calls. Jesus said to them, verse 10, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Now, why not just 150? Why not there was a large number of fish? You know, details like this show us that this is an absolute eyewitness recorded account. It speaks to the, the validity of what you're reading. You know, I mean, it's, uh, that's a very exact number, right? 153 fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I would say so. Right? Like, come on. This, hmm, this sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, three years ago. Same way that we were called. Same miraculous catch of fish. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this is where it gets so, so good and so beautiful, and so necessary for us today, so beneficial, so healing. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly, do you truly love me more than these now, there's some, some question about what did he mean by more than these. Like, what, what was he referring to? Was he referring to the fish? Do you really love me more than going back to this? 
this profession that you spent all your life up to the point I called you to, uh, to come and follow me? Are, are, do you really love me more than these fish and this source of income? It could have been, um, do you really love me uh, more than these, you know, these, these nets and these boats kind of along with that? I, I really believe, though, that in, in just with context and, and what Peter had said before he denied the Lord, I really believe that when he said, you truly love me more than these, I, I think he was referring to the rest of the disciples. Because right when that prediction was given to Peter by Jesus that he was going to deny him in Matthew 26, 33, Peter, and I already mentioned it, he said, I don't know what these guys are going to do. I don't know about these jokers, but I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. I love you so much, Jesus, that I'm going to die with you. I would die in your place. Jesus, I love you more than anyone else loves you. There's no one who loves me more than you. And he denied the Lord anyway, which showed Peter was a little bit inflated, or a lot in reality, inflated on on how much he truly did love the Lord. So I really believe Jesus asking this is, okay, now that you've gone through this, now that you've experienced your own failure, now that you've experienced your weakness, Peter, now that you've seen in all of reality how you really are and what you're susceptible to, what is your view of your love for me now, Peter? How high do you see yourself now, Peter? Do you really, truly love me more than all of these? That's, that's what I feel he was referring to. And, and the word love that he used here, see, our, our English language, you know, we just don't have a good handle on, on different expressions in, in words. I mean, I can say I love my wife or I love tacos. And it's the same word, and, and maybe in how I express it with my tone, it might, it might reveal a difference there, but just the word itself, there's no difference. It's just, it, it's just love, 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 love. So in, in, the, in the Greek, though, it's, it's so rich and so full and so beautiful. Uh, with, what Jesus says here when he says, do you truly love me more than these? The word he uses here is agapao. Try saying that five times fast. And, and the word, it, it's, it's where we get agape, love, and it means totally unconditional, undying, unaffected, total surrendered love. It means holding nothing back. Your entire self. Complete self-denial for the sake of the one you're loving. It's, it's ultimate. Ultimate love. Perfect love. Do you truly agapao me, Peter? Because that's what he had said back in Matthew 26, 33, when he said, no, I'll never deny you. I love you too much. I love you more than anyone else or anything else. There is no one who loves you more than me. That's what he was, that's what he was claiming. So Jesus here says, it, can you really say that still? Still? Look at Peter's response. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. But the word he used was not the same word. He didn't say, yes, I agapao you, Jesus. I love you to the fullest. I love you unconditionally. I love you more than anyone else. Yes, that hasn't changed. I know that's still true. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo means I'm fond of you. I do have affection for you. But it's a camaraderie type thing. You know, Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love, yeah. It's, it's that. It's camaraderie. It's I love you like a brother, man. That kind of thing. Yes, Lord, I'm very fond of you. See that honesty? That honesty that came as a result of that failure, of being forced to see his own limitations, his own weakness, Here's what Jesus said in response. Keep, or excuse me, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And what he was saying there to Peter is keep on tending. That's really the, the, the idea there behind that. Feed my lambs. Keep on tending my little 
lambs. Keep on tending my little lambs. Jesus was saying here, okay, okay, that's what I'm looking for, Peter. I'm looking for your honesty. I'm looking for your your openness. I'm looking for the fact that you see yourself the way you really are, in need of me, desperate for me. I'm looking for the fact that you're not all inflated, that, that you're forced to acknowledge your weakness. And now that you have, now that I see this, this growth and this development in you, I, I see that you recognize you're not what you thought you were. I can work with that. That's what Jesus is saying. I can work with that. Your pride has been destroyed. Your pride has been broken. Now I can build you back up to being that rock. I can work with this. I can work in weakness. Because remember what he told Paul? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what we see here. And he's, he's, he's meeting Peter where he's at. And he says, okay, all right, let's work with that. Keep on tending my little lambs. Keep on ministering. Keep on caring for those who are, are, are new in their faith or their walk with me. Keep on tending and maturing those who are, are, are even beneath where you're at in your walk. Mentor and disciple them, Peter. Again, verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he's used the same word, agapao. Do you truly love me? Unconditionally. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo, again, I I said, Jesus, I'm very fond of you. I I have deep affection for you. Yes, yes, that's that's true. That's the most I can... That's the most I can convey at this point. That's, that's the, the, the fullest extent of what I can honestly say to you at this point. Jesus said, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Take care of my sheep. That's, that's keep on shepherding my little sheep. Keep on shepherding. That's pastoring. Keep on pastoring, Peter. Be the pastor of my flock, which we know Peter absolutely became, just in a little while from here, his great sermon in Acts, where 3,000 people came into the church and the early church was formed and launched. So yes, we see that, that, that this is actually going to happen. Peter is going to be the pastor of the early church. Keep on shepherding, keep on pastoring. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And catch this, catch this. He didn't use agapao again. He said, do you phileo me? Peter, I've heard you these times, and you've responded in honesty and openness. Now let me, let me just let me ask, can you even say that? Can, is that even true? Do you even love me at that level? Is that even a reality? Peter was hurt, it's grieved, it's brokenhearted is is really the the word here. Peter was hurt, brokenhearted, because Jesus asked him the third time, why? Why? Well, don't don't you think, don't you think that with each time of him asking, do you love, do you love, do you love, instantly what Peter was taken back to was those three, I never, I, I don't know him, I don't know who that is. You're mistaken. You're wrong. Stop it. I don't know him. That with each question of do you love, he was taken back to the statement of denial. I think that's absolutely what what happened here. That's why he had the response of brokenness. And in his mind, he heard the rooster again and again. Now, we have this rooster down from our house, and... You know, roosters typically have the same kind of sound, right? Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of my, you know, that's what I think of. This rooster down from our house, I hate to hear the sound of this rooster. I hate this rooster. I want to find this rooster and end its life. Because it doesn't just do the normal cock-a-doodle-doo thing. It goes... I mean, it's like someone put that out of its misery, please. Every time, I mean, all the time. I mean, Aubrey, I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, she's like, Daddy, what is that? I'm like, it's the rooster. 
I hate the sound of that rooster or any rooster at certain times of the day. But I guarantee you, no matter how much I hate the sound of that rooster or other roosters, you know, I, I bet Peter, the rest of his life, every time a rooster crowed, he just shuddered. Because even though we're going to see him totally restored and forgiven, and we know that the early church just takes off in, in amazing ways because of Peter being surrendered to the Lord, and all that is true, but he would always have the reminder of, of his own weakness and brokenness and the fact that even he, even he, long ago, denied the Lord. And that's what happens. It, it, it forms a scar. Our failures form a scar. But you know the great thing about the scar that we have is it also is a reminder that the wound itself is healed. And every time he shuddered as he heard that rooster crow, and I'm just imagining, we'll have to find out when we are with him, if it even matters then. But I guarantee you, if if that's true, if he shuddered every time he heard a rooster crow, I guarantee you he also felt a deep sense of gratefulness and, and thankfulness at the Lord for the fact that even though he denied, the Lord forgave. And even though he left his Savior, his Savior never left him. So it would have been right there with that negative reminder, the positive one would have been there too, would have had to be. But that's what is behind him being grieved at the the third question and the way that there was these three questions. And, And even though that grieved Peter's heart, it was necessary because we see Jesus saying, for every time you've denied me, Peter, I want you to know that I still believe and know that you love me, and I need you to believe it. I need you to know that you do still love me, Peter. I know it, but I need you to know it too. So he met each denial and each failure with a reinforcement and reminder and a reinstatement and a restoration of the fact that he did indeed love his Savior. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And there's that word again, phileo. You know that I have deep affection for you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. That's that's tend my mature lambs, my mature sheep. So we we see this progression. We see... We see Jesus entering in and, and saying, do you love me? Do you really, can you really say you, you love me unconditionally? Is that really true? And Peter says, no, I, I can't get there, but, but I do have deep affection for you. I know that to be true. And Jesus says, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Minister to those beneath you. Raise up those who are weaker than you. Tend them. Keep tending them. I'm not done with you, Peter. I'm still using you. Tend those beneath you. Raise them up. Make them stronger. And he asks them again, He says, okay, shepherd, shepherd my flock. Shepherd my little lambs. Take care of those, minister to them. Be the shepherd over my sheep, Peter. I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, you failed. Yeah, you denied me, but I'm reinstating you. I'm bringing you back. I still have a, a plan for you. I still have work for you to do. I still want you to be part of my story. And then the third time, okay, Peter, I see, I see growth in you. I see maturity in you. And you're going to keep climbing. You're, you're going to keep going higher. And as you do, just take care of even those that are mature in their walk with me. Take care of even the mature believers. The weak ones, though all those who need pastoring and even those who are mature and wise minister to them as well. I need you to do this for me, Peter. And we see Peter restored and brought back And he's reunited in his calling. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? That same availability is for each of us today. No matter what you've done, no matter how you have strayed, no matter what your fall looks like, you can absolutely get back up again. Because not one of us is beyond the restoring reach of God. We're all Peter in some way. In some fashion, we all have failed and, and, and continue to fail our Lord. And yeah, it's going to break your heart. And that's good. That's a good thing because that shows you understand the seriousness of your sin. 
But the problem with all of us is that we have a tendency to just stay down on the ground, to not get back up and not to go forward. That's what the enemy wants. That's what the enemy wants. And he wants us to forget the fact that we, we can be reminded of a lot of needed, necessary things through our failure. We, we, we can forget, and, and our enemy wants us to forget, that our Savior is always going to be bigger than our failure. Our Savior is always going to be bigger than our failure. And our mistake, our failure, our sinfulness, no matter how grave it might be, no matter how serious it is, and it is serious, any sin is serious, but no matter what, it is not too powerful or too big for our Savior and our Lord to redeem it and to work through it and to teach us through it. Because our God is always going to be greater than our failure. So here's, as we wrap up, here, here's what I want you, want you to understand. I, I want you to understand that our failures remind us of some very important things. They show us some very important things. So here's what our failures remind us of. First, it, our failures remind us that we will always, always need rescue and forgiveness. We will always need rescue and forgiveness. We are always going to be in need of a Savior. We're always going to be in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness all the time. No matter how far we walk in our walk with the Lord, no matter how much we know, no matter how much we grow, we're always still going to need rescue from ourself, from our sinfulness. And we're always going to need forgiveness. Romans 7, 21-25 says this. Paul's writing here, and this is, this is mature servant, apostle, missionary Paul. This is at the the third missionary journey after he's planted all these churches and he's done all these great things, all these great things for the Lord and he still says this, which shows that we always are going to need rescue no matter how far we go in our life with Christ. So I find this law at work, he says. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, I desire to do good, evil is right there with me. Can we all say amen to that? Yes, we can all identify. Yep, I'm with you, Paul. Know what you mean. Verse 22, For in my inner being, my inner self, my true self, I delight in God's law. I I love it. I know it's good. But, but, I see another law at work in me, waging war. Not just causing me a little bit of a hard time. Not just being a little annoyance like a toothache. Waging war. There's an enemy coming at me. Against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Again, I think we could all say amen. Feel that. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Here's the great answer. The beautiful answer. Thanks be to God who delivers, who rescues me, you, all of us, Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the answer. He's the remedy. He's the rescue. He's the cure. He's the hope. He's the life. He's the rescue that we can always find. Constantly available. It's good news. It's good news. Then, 1 John 1, 8 through 9. Another powerful, beautiful promise. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Yeah, because we all still have this sin that we deal with. And the truth is not in us. That's what's true. Here's another truth, though. If we confess our sins, that means admit that we have sin and that that we have sinned in, in one way or another, whatever that may be. If we admit it, we don't try to hide it. We don't try to sweep it under the rug. We don't ignore it. If we admit and confess our sins, agreeing with God on what our sin is, here's the promise. He is faithful and just. That's fair. And will forgive us our sins and, don't miss the and, not just forgive, and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he doesn't just forgive us and say, I forgive you. He says, whoa, whoa, don't, don't leave yet. Let me clean you off from all of this sin that you've stained yourself with again. No kinder Savior, friends, no kinder Savior will ever be found. No one like Jesus to do that. 
We will always need rescue and forgiveness, and in Jesus we always have both. Secondly, our failures remind us of this fact, that we have a Savior that understands our weaknesses without sharing them. We have a Savior who understands our weaknesses without sharing them, and that's a very important distinction. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest, we do not have a high priest, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. That's identify with. Not just feel sorry for, but actually identify with, understand, enter into the struggle. Unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, yet, and there's another important distinction, don't miss the yet, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, which, by the way, is all the time, all the time. And we have that ability to find the grace and the mercy and the help that we need because we have a high priest who is at the right hand of the Father who intercedes for us and pleads our case as one who totally gets our struggle and yet remains separate from being overcome by that struggle. That's the good news of Christ. That's the Savior we have. Hebrews 7, 25-26 says this in the same thought continuing therefore therefore because that was true therefore he is able to save completely not just somewhat completely to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them is that not amazing news for you today That you have a Savior that didn't just die for you and forgive your sins. He didn't just rise again and go up to be with the Father. But He ever lived for eternity to intercede for you and me in our weakness. Amazing. Amazing. He ever always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Exalted above the heavens. That's the kind of high priest we need, and that's the kind of high priest we have. We have a Savior and a high priest who understands our weaknesses without sharing them and provides help and victory and hope in them. And then lastly, what our failures remind us of, and this is very, very important for us to understand. This is extremely practical, okay? Our failures remind us of the fact that we need to forgive as we have been forgiven, We need to forgive as we have been forgiven. And there is no caveat there. There's no out on that. God is not going to look at you and me as as we hold bitterness and we hold someone's sins against them and we hold back forgiveness from someone. He's not ever going to look at us and say, oh, you know what? It's okay. You're, You're the exception. What was done to you was worse than anyone ever has had anything done to them. You've been more mistreated than anyone else. What they did to you is just, I mean, it even surprises me. That's never going to be something God says to you. Okay? He's never going to be like, whoa, that's some serious wrong that was done to you. I got, that's okay. Here's your past. You don't, get, you don't have to forgive them. Never. Never. There's no parentheses there in what God calls us to do with with forgiving one another. Here's how I know that's true. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate, full of compassion, to one another, all of one another. (laughs) Forgiving each other, don't miss this part, catch this, catch this, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's our standard, guys. Our standard of forgiveness is not the person next to you or whether you received forgiveness or or, 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 our human companions here. It's not a human standard we look to and measure our forgiveness by. No, we measure our forgiveness by the standard we have been forgiven with. And that's infinite forgiveness. You know how much of a sinner you are, and I know how much of a sinner I am, and we know all through Scripture of what our sin did to Jesus Christ, and we know how God views sin. So 
how in the world could we, knowing, knowing that we have been forgiven of all that we have been forgiven by, knowing that we have been rescued and ransomed by a perfect holy God, knowing we have been loved in the extent that He has loved us, how could we ever look to someone else and say, that's too much, that's too much to ask, I'm not going to forgive you? <laughs> really? Look at the cross. And look at the fact that my sin and your sin put Jesus there. Look at the fact and remember that, that God the Father made him, his son, who knew no sin to be sin for us and judged our sin on him. How could we ever hold back forgiveness from anyone else? So, our failures remind us of the fact that we need to forgive as we've been forgiven. And all of this together, all of this together, I, I just I feel it summed up in this quote by John Newton that I love. It's one of my favorite quotes. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, who had, just like Peter, an amazing experience of the forgiveness and the rest, restoring reach of God. His story is great. Read it sometime. He says this. This is at the end of his life. Although my memory's fading... I remember two things, two things, very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And that will always be able to be said by us. Would you pray with me? Have you believed in received, embraced the forgiveness available to you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed in and embraced the fact that there is a restoring God that you are never beyond the reach of? If that's not true of you today, if you have not received his forgiveness, God's forgiveness personally, and you have not received the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on your behalf today, if you stand outside of Christ, I'm here to tell you there is no reason to continue to stand outside of Christ. That you have the availability right now, right here before you, where you're at, to receive the gift of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love which Christ Jesus sacrificed himself to give you and offers to you now. And I would love the privilege of first praying for you and then secondly being available to you to talk and to counsel and pray further. If that's you, if you would say, I have not yet received the forgiveness of Jesus, I have not yet received his sacrifice on my behalf, I have not yet given my life to Jesus, but I want to today. I want this to be the day of my salvation. Would you just slip up your hand and let me know that's you so that I can pray, you, pray for you and then, then meet with you maybe after the service? I'd love to do that. Is there anyone who would say, yeah, that's me? Anybody? Anyone at all? Just let me know. No one's going to embarrass you or make you feel judged or guilty. We're, we're all in the same boat, let me tell you. We're all in need of the Savior and His grace and His mercy and love. The only thing that makes us any different is the fact that we've already received the sacrifice that, that He has done on our behalf, and, and you haven't at this point. That's the only thing that separates us. Is there anyone that would say, I want to know what you know? I want to know this Savior. Anyone at all? Okay, let me ask you this then, believer. Are you allowing your failures to teach you lessons that are needed or to remind you of what you already know? Are you, are you maybe needing to be reminded of the fact that we, you always need rescue and forgiveness? Maybe, just maybe, you've gone along a ways and you thought you were you know, higher up on the mountain, so to speak, than you were, and, and you have fallen, and you're really struggling right now. Well, maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit needed to remind you, you know what, you still need grace. You still need rescue, just like anyone else. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you in that way, that you'd be encouraged, that you would be reminded of that, and that you would embrace the rescue and forgiveness that is yours through Christ. Maybe, maybe you... Uh, Maybe you've forgotten the fact that 
that you have a Savior who understands your weakness and where you're coming from, and you're not coming back to him as you need to. You're not believing that you can be forgiven and that forgiveness is yours because he paid for it. Maybe you're, you're just holding on to your failure out of shame and guilt. I just want you to know you don't have to do that. Jesus Christ paid for your forgiveness and your release from that guilt. doesn't make what you did right or okay. It just means you can go forward. He paid for that. And then perhaps most importantly of all, maybe you're here today, Christian, my fellow brother and sister, and you are holding on to something that someone has done to you or said about you or said to you. Maybe you're holding on to something rather than letting it go, and maybe you're not giving forgiveness to someone that you need to. If that's the case, you're not going to feel peace. You're not going to feel renewed and restored, and you're certainly not going to experience the blessing of God because he's not going to bless unforgiveness. Maybe you need prayer in that. If, that's, if, I, if I described any of you where you're at today, please, please just let me know. I'd love to pray for you. Is there anyone who would say that's me? Thanks for your honesty. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Pray for me in one of these areas. Thank you. I will. Thank you. I will. Anyone else? Thanks for your honesty. All right. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, first of all, for your grace and your faithfulness and your mercy. I thank you, Father, that in Peter's example and and many others like him, we see reminders that none of us are beyond the reach of your restoration, that you are a restoring God, and you have a perfect track record of restoring. Father, help us to believe that. Help us to believe you when you say, I will forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you confess it. Help us to believe that. Help us to believe that, that we have a Savior who understands our weakness but yet remains outside of it and therefore he is the perfect intercessor and let us run to him. And Father, please help us to, to give and offer forgiveness to our fellow believers and our fellow humans in light of the the forgiveness that we have received. May we not ever hold back on forgiving others when we have been forgiven of so much. And so, Father, I pray for those, my my brothers and sisters, who said in one of these areas that you talked about, yeah, I'm there, I'm there, I'm right where where you described. And, And so, Father, I pray that by your Spirit you would meet them there, enter into that struggle Bring them the healing that is necessary. Bring them the ability to forgive by your spirit, by his power. Bring them the ability to remember that that they have a Savior who loves them deeply and dearly. And just as he met Peter right where he was at and, and, and took the level of love he was able to give, and he took it, he didn't judge him or criticize and say, well, you need to be up here. You need to be up at this level. He took Peter where he was at. Please help them to believe that Jesus will do the same to them and he will grow them further and grow them the way he was going to grow Peter and the way he did. May we believe that. May we believe you, God. And may we be constantly changing and different because of that. It's in Jesus' mighty name. I pray all of this with thanks. Amen.